everybody doing? Everybody awake? Everybody alive? Everybody happy to be here? All right, good. I, I know I am, and I'm, I just want to welcome you guys to Connection Church, man. Uh, what God's been doing over the last 13 or 14 weeks is uh, just been breathtaking. I'm honestly just having to catch my breath every week, like, man, God's just doing so much. I'm like, let me keep up, man. It's crazy. And so um, I just want to welcome you. If it's, if it's your first time, um, my name is Michael Page. I'm the campus pastor here at our Pooler campus. Um, like uh, Lauren was saying a second ago, our, our main campus, our, what we like to call the central hub or central campus is in uh, Statesboro, Georgia, about 45 minutes down the road. Um, and so we just love what God's doing. And, and our heart is, is centered around connecting people to a growing relationship with Jesus. So anything that you do in this church, any place you come, any place you serve, uh, the seats that you're sitting in have been prayed up. We're, we are always trying to connect people, no matter where you're at, from the parking lot to this position right here, connecting people to a growing relationship with Christ. Because that's what it's about, right? That's what it's about, it's about following Jesus. And so what I, what I know is anytime a group of believers or followers of Jesus are in a room together, there should be an excitement in the air. Is that right? There should be an excitement. I mean, Jesus has, has gone into the grave for me, and he's risen for me. And I should live for him. We should get fired up about that. Is that right? And so, so many times we come to church and it's easy for me to kind of just, just do the next thing or go, just sit in my seat and just kind of absorb everything that's being brought to me. But God, that's not, I don't think that's the way Jesus intended um, for us to do church. And so whenever we're here together, remember, this is a celebration. We're, we're worshiping. We're worshiping God rising from the dead, rising from the grave, and he defeated sin and death for me and for you. We have a lot to celebrate, right? But if we're not saved this morning, if, we're not, if we don't know Jesus, if we haven't surrendered our hearts to Jesus, any celebrating we're doing is going to end at the end of our life on earth. But it doesn't have to. I'm going to tell you about that this morning a little bit because, guys, Jesus has conquered. He's conquered sin and death. He says it's done. He says it's finished. And if we surrender to him, that means we're hidden. That means we are um, hidden in him and his righteousness. God looks at us as, as joint heirs with him is what the Bible says, which that's some good news. And so my question this morning for you tonight, or this morning, we're still on night vision of this church here. But this morning, the, well, what I want to ask you this morning is, is why are you here? What, what made you get out of bed and come to church? What made you get out of bed and come sit in these seats? What are you looking for? What, what compelled you to come this morning? Is it just something you do on Sunday mornings is go to church? Is it something that, that you've just done your whole life? Are you seeking something? Are you seeking something you don't even know you're seeking? So, so this morning, I just want you to have those ears on and those spiritual ears. I pray that the spiritual eyes and ears of our hearts will be awakened to what God wants to do in your heart, individually, you, individually. And so I want to read a verse, uh, I say a passage in Ephesians real quick. And this is my heart for our church. Every time we meet, every time we meet in our small groups outside of here, it's in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. It says this, and this is Paul praying. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, rooted, established in love, may have power. Ask yourselves, am I, is my life characterized by power? Do I, do I have power in my life? Do I see God working powerfully in my life? Ask yourself that this morning. Together, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, long, and how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know. You don't have to guess your way through life. You don't have to guess if God loves you or not. It says you can know 
this love that surpasses knowledge. It, God's love is so huge that it surpasses anything that you can understand. So this morning, get, understand that how awesome that is, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do, what? Immeasurably more. Immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So my question is for you this morning is do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus can do immeasurably more in your life this morning? When you came here this morning, were you expecting to encounter Christ? Were you expecting that? We have to. Guys, there's more that God wants to do in your life than for you to just go through the motions. God is implanting his spirit in you so that you can be an effective, effective member of the kingdom of God. That's, that's huge. That's awesome. I don't care where you've come from or what you've done or who you've done it with, what you've been involved with or, or how far you think you've gone. He wants to show you his love in a way that you can't imagine. He wants to show you that he wants to use you. And so my question this morning on top of this is, are we, are we following and worshiping a version of God this morning that's safe? and secure that doesn't require much action from us? Are we worshiping a God of all creation that established the stars and put the planets in motion? Because if that's the God we're worshiping and he's done for me what he said he's done in scripture and I believe it with all my heart, every single word, that means we have a reason to celebrate, right? Right, yes. And so let's pray today. And then let's, let's say, if we're stuck this morning in some kind of psycho of religion or, we ha- or do we have an intimate relationship with God, wherever we're at, we need to have an encounter with Christ this morning. So let's pray together and we'll jump right in. Father, we love you. I'm so thankful for what you've done in, in my life and what you've done in the life of the people, Father, here are following you. I pray, Father, this morning that you would just come in this place, that you would just rock us, God, that you would just show us who you are. Lord, you would just give us a, a deeper understanding of what your will is for our lives. You would give us a deeper understanding of who you are, God, because we know, God, our insecurities run and our fears run, God, not from a, a better self-realization, God, but a very better view of who you are. And so this morning, God, I pray for the heart that's far from you. God, I pray for the person that doesn't know you. I pray, that Father, that you would break our hearts, Father, to be able to come into a relationship with you this morning, that we wouldn't wait any longer. God, we love you, and I just pray that you would just bless this word. God, I pray that you would speak to us, teach us things, convict us where we're wrong, God, and give us the boldness and courage, Father, to, to make adjustments. Lord, we love you, and it's your name I pray. Amen. All right, is everybody fired up? Here we go. All right, I got a question, okay? Um, we, I like to ask questions. Um, so who's ever been given the advice in your life to follow your heart? Anybody? One person. Two people. All right. I've been given that advice, and so... Um, Who's ever followed through with that advice? A couple people, all right. Okay. In my personal experience, I, I can't speak for everyone, so don't hear me sp- preaching at you in this, but like, that's, that's some very misguided wisdom and probably shouldn't be your go-to strategy in life is to follow your heart. And this is why I, I read in Jeremiah 17, um, verse 9, where it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I can't, I can't, uh, you know, God does. So what I hear in this is that left to my own devices and my own feelings and my heart, I always mess it up. I always go my own way and I'll end up deceiving myself into thinking that I know what's best for my life. Can we agree with that? For y'all, the three people who raised their hands, can we agree with that? 
Yes. <laughs> so we, we have to put our heart, guys, this is what I want you to see. We have to put our heart up against Jesus and compare ourselves against that standard because we have, to, we have to filter our thoughts and our feelings and our lives and our plans through Scripture. This has to be our filter because Jesus, you know, whenever we do that, we, we, we just offer ourselves before Christ and through prayer, and, and we allow the Holy Spirit to refine us, and then through obedience, we allow Him to make adjustments to our life. And that's what it means to live in Christ and by faith. And so if we're living that way, we're not going to be letting our hearts lead us. We're going to lead our hearts. When my heart's trying to lead me somewhere, I'm going to say, whoa, bro, listen, this is what Scripture says. Because one thing I know is if my heart's going to get something that's in Scripture, I have a heart problem, not a Scripture problem. Can we agree with that? Okay. So guys, this is, what, this is what we preach every day at this church is we need to be reading this word and then doing what it says. Because without that, we're going to be off lost. Like it's going to be kind of like, you know, like our children sometimes, we like to try to get around that. I want to play this out for y'all. If you're, is there any parents in here? Any parents? One, two, three, okay. Some parents. I want to play this out. What if your kids treated you like we treat God sometimes? You know what I'm saying? What if, what if that, so you tell them, you say, go clean your room. Who's ever told their kid that? Go clean your room. Bunch of people. Go clean your room. An hour later, you go and check on them and nothing in their room looks different. They might be in there playing with their Xboxes, their Polly Pockets. Is that still around? I don't know. I, to, I didn't play with those, but I've just said, I promise. <laughs> or just whatever, you know, it could be anything. They're just in there playing around. And you look at them and say, boy or girl, in my case, both. D- d- did you hear me? <laughs> Did you hear me when I said, go clean your room? Did you hear me when I said, go clean your room? And they look at you and say, yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. I even memorized it. I, I, you know, you said, go clean your room. I even looked it up in the Greek and Hebrew. It's a, pretty cool, it's a pretty cool phrase. But they didn't do anything. It totally negates everything that you, it, it totally just messes you all up, makes you mad. You probably would be tempted to, you know, do some violent things. And so, This is a funny illustration, but if we're honest with ourselves, this is exactly where some of us are at with the Lord today, right? Like we hear it, we we hear it preached, we read it, but then when it goes to being put into play, it's like, ah, I don't know about that. That's that's, that's a little hard, you know? And so, you know, we love to read his commands. We love to listen to a good, strong sermon from time to time or a podcast. But when it comes to carrying stuff out, it gets a little more difficult. It gets a little gray. It's not as black and white sometimes. Because we're, we're, we're humans and we have a sinful nature. But my, my brother James, in James chapter 1, it, it, he lays it out for us good here. It says this in James 1, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. You have to listen to those two words. Deceive yourselves. Don't just listen to the word, so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Guys, unless we're doers of the word, we'll begin to deceive ourselves. When we look into scripture... We need to look into Scripture like a mirror. When you do that, what do you see? When you look at yourself in Scripture like a mirror, what do you see? You see a sinner. You see God saying, do this, and you're like, I, I, I haven't done that. I'm not, I'm, I, don't, I don't meet the standard. 
You see a sinner, right? But if you, then this is what a sinner, if I'm looking at that, I see a sinner and I walk away and don't do what it says, I forget who I am because who you are is what Christ says you are, not what you, who you say you are. And so if God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made, if he says this about his followers, if he says, you know, we have to understand we are who he says he is. When we really see this and walk this out, guys, we'll understand that we can't just be hearers, we have to be doers. If we never get past the hearing phase of our faith, we become very broken people. We just hear it, hear it, hear it, hear it, hear it. We become numb. We become numb. And no wonder people aren't living in power like we talked about a minute ago because we have a bunch of hearers in the Big C Church today that are having a hard time doing. And so that, that creates a spirit of religion in the church that just destroys what, what Christ was trying to do in us. When we hear it, guys, we never move past it. We're not able to experience the grace and the love that God wants us to. The reason he wants us to do it is because he, he wants us to experience his love. That's awesome. His love is, is huge and it's great. Guys, if we have a relationship with Jesus that's based on just hearing and never doing, the Bible says we deceive ourselves and we become very prideful because we know a lot about Scripture and we're able to see sin in other people, but we deceive ourselves in seeing the same sin in ourselves. Does that make sense? That's scary. That's a scary place to be. And this is exactly where we are in our third week of our current series, Broken. We're going to look at the life of King Saul and see where the process of pride and self-deception is going to take us. And guys, if that's where we're at this morning, I pray God that would open your ears and your, of your heart to hear this morning. Because I promise you, God wants to use you. And I promise you, pride will make you unuseful for a while until you surrender that. Okay? So let's listen to this this morning. And we're going to start. If you have your Bibles, everybody have their Bible. I'll, I'll let phone slide, but you have your, I mean, your Bible. I love pages on, words on a page. So grab those and go ahead and turn to um, 1 Samuel chapter 10. And I want to give you a kind of a brief summary of uh, 1 Samuel from 7 to 10, kind of where we're at. Um, the Israelites have, you know, God has just delivered the Israelites from the Philistines and, you know, all this stuff. And so they, they say, they turn away from God and say, hey, give us a king like the rest of the world has. Every other nation has a, has a, has a, a king. And we want a king in our country. We want somebody to rule over us. And God's basically saying, well, bro, you know what that means. If a king is going to rule over you, he's going to take a tenth of all you own. He's going to take your sons and make them fight in the army. He's going to take your daughters and make them work in his, in his, in his palace to, to bake and to serve and to do things like that. He's going, to, he's going to take the best cattle, the best sheep, the best goats you have. He's going to take a tenth of your land. And they're like, yeah, that sounds good. I'm like, What? God's been blessing you, and you want to be ruled over by a man? Like, listen. And so they, they, you know, God says, okay, tell Samuel, do, it, do what they want to do. So basically, God reveals who he wants to be the next king, and it's Saul. And Saul is a very humble guy. He's a, it, the Bible says he's the best-looking guy in Israel. That's awesome. That's a good thing to have, right? If I was the best-looking guy in Pooler, I'd be like, that's awesome. You know, he was a head taller than anybody else is what it said in all of Israel. All of Israel. He was a head taller, better-looking than anybody. So this is like a perfect breeding ground for pride, right? And so, so, he, so he comes, and, but at the same time, he was very fearful. And the whole, you can go back and read in, verse, in chapters 8 and 9 where, you know, where, where Samuel brings Saul in and how, and how it all works and, and how, uh, how the, the sovereignty of God is like Samuel and Saul just basically run into each other on the road. And God said, that's him. And they brought, he brought their path to, it's, it's, it's another sermon, sovereignty, all that stuff. But it's really cool. It's awesome. And then you see in, cha in, in chapter 10, you see where Saul is coming in and Samuel is about to anoint Saul as king. Okay? 
And so we're going to read right here. We're going to start here, and then we'll jump over to chapter 15, and we're going to read where he kind of fell on his face. Chapter 10, verse 17. Just follow along with me here. It says, Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the, to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities, and you have said, no, no, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But then they looked for him. He was not to be found. Saul was hiding. This is, this is awesome. This is like, there's nothing better on TV than this, I promise. Read the Bible, it's awesome. I'm telling you. He says, so then they further inquired with the Lord, has the man come here yet? Where's Saul? We hadn't seen him. Is he here yet? And so God's like, yeah, he's over here. God knows where you're at, okay? If, if you're here this morning trying to hide, he can't hide. He's, he knows where you're at. There says, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. They ran and brought him out. And he stood among the people. He was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king. And so he was hiding himself in the luggage. A better translation of that is, is baggage. And so how many of us hide in our baggage sometimes when God's trying to call us? You know what I'm saying? Listen, God's here to, to, this morning to call us out of that, to say he was trying to raise us up. Saul is hiding in the baggage, hiding in the luggage, hiding in the things that he thinks can hide him from God. That's not it. We'll move on past this in chapter 10 through 14. We see the people, they're very skeptical of Saul because you, would you want a king that was, that was timid and, and scared and, and hiding from, from his, where, he's, where he's being called? No, you wouldn't want that. But then Saul, the Spirit says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul and he delivered the Israelites from the Amorites. Nahash was a king who was, who was oppressing them, and he had, they, there was a section of Israel that he had defeated and took over. And basically what was happening is that the Israelites were like, please, pl please have mercy. We want a treaty. Please, we want, we want, to do, we want peace. And this, this king Nahash said, okay, I'll, I'll, do, I'll, I'll do peace, but I, I want to take every one of your right eyes. Crazy guy. He's psycho. Right eye. Everybody, gone. And basically what he said, the Israelites said, well, give us, give us until such and such a day, and someone might come save us, and then give us some time. He said, okay, I'll do that, which was weird, I think. It's a weird strategy, but whatever. And Saul takes him, and so Saul comes in and just takes him out, like destroys him, like gone. And then the people love Saul. So Saul goes from fearful and humble to he's starting, you're starting to see some arrogance and pride. And, I, and anytime you see pride in someone's life, I, I'm, I'm a, I am a firm believer that it's a, it's a, it's a mask for insecurity. I believe that. That's what it's been in my life. We can look at chapter 13. We see the Philistines are back, and they're mounting an attack. And it says the Israelites started hiding in caves and pits and cisterns and behind rocks, trying to get away from the Philistines because there was like 20,000 like, soldiers, and there was 6,000 chariots. It was just crazy, like an intimidating amount of, amount of um, forces. And then we see in chapter four, uh, 13 where Samuel... Is, um, is late, or he's not late, he's, he's getting to where Saul was to the battle, and, and Saul, he offers the, um, the sacrifice, which is supposed to be done by Samuel, which is a big no-no, you're not supposed to do that, and then Samuel says, God has rejected you as king, and there's another man that will come after you who's after God's own heart, and who is that? David. 
David. The Israelites, they go on to defeat the Philistines again, and then God wants to use Israel to carry out his judgments on the Amalekites. And that's where we're at right now in chapter 15. I brought you to seven chapters, eight chapters really fast. So go home and read those because there's really good drama for all you ladies that like that. So here we go. Listen, in this, section of, in this segment of the story, guys, we see a man who goes from hiding behind rocks, hiding in the baggage, hiding in his timidity, to constructing a monument honoring himself. So we see a lot of changes in Saul here in a second. So I feel like, you know, what happened? What happened in Saul to make him go from timid and scared to it's all about me? You know what I mean? What happened in his life? And so I just want to tell you, like, whenever we go, if, if, if your husband or wife has started, uh, you know, constructing monuments honoring them or yourself, then you know it's time for some intervention, you know? It's time for a timeout. Because I, one thing I know is humans rarely do good when they are given power of that kind. It's hard. It's, it's difficult. So there's four lessons that I want to look at today. Four lessons in this story. And we're going to read through this, this chapter, chapter 15. If you want to turn over to chapter 15, we're going to read it as we go. Okay, I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're going to read it as we go. And we're going to go through it. We're going to go point, verse by verse. And we're going to tear this apart, okay? And so the first thing I notice is number one point is, is partial obedience is still disobedience. Halfway obedience is still disobedience. 99% obedience is still disobedience, right? Your parents were like, yes, get my kids out of KK right now. Let them hear this. Like partial obedience is still disobedience. Let's read verses one through nine in chapter 15. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people, Israel. So listen now the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telem. 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. That's a lot of people. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, Go away, leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Good idea. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the, and the army spared Agag and, and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves, the lambs, and everything that was good. They were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So did he, did he obey or disobey? Totally disobeyed. So about, about verse 7 or 8, we should have some red flags starting to go off, right? Like, Saul, what are you doing? Saul, 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 you're, you're not obeying. Like, this is not right. You're not doing what God said. You're, you're, you're disobeying. So wasn't God, like, he was pretty clear. It was like, do one do two, do three, and then come back and see me, right? He, he, he told him exactly what he wanted to do. And so like, I read this and I think about me. Like, what about me? What about you? When God calls you to do something, how do you respond? You know, now most of us don't just, 
raise a hand against God and say, I won't do it. I, I'm not going to do it, God. We don't usually do that, right? It's not, it's not that blatant sometimes. Instead, we usually struggle with the idea for a while. It's like, oh, my God, that's hard. That's tough. I don't know if I can do it. Sometimes we argue. Sometimes, you know, telling God that, that all, all the reasons why, God, your plan won't work. It, doesn't, it won't work. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't work. And other times, we'll just doubt we've heard him right and then deny that he's even called us. That's where a lot of people fall. I just don't know if he actually said what I thought he said, you know. So I'm going to kind of roll with this for about two or three weeks or a year or two years, and then maybe he'll forget about it, and I'll just kind of go off into, into, into the rest of my life. Or we could be like Jonah. We could hear what God said. We could run the opposite way because it scares us to death or we're prideful. You may be here this morning and saying, Michael, I've never heard God speak. I've never heard God call me to do something. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to encourage you, and hear this with love. If you've ever read this Bible, if you've ever read Scripture, you've heard God command you to do a lot of things, to tell you to do a lot of things, how to live, the type of person you ought to marry, how to make a disciple, how to spend your money, how to raise your kids, how to, how to say, I mean, how to, all these things. He's taught you how to do this in Scripture. And one thing that a wise pastor once told me one time is like, you know, if you can't obey here, how can you obey his spoken word? You know, how can, what makes you think if he's going to give you point A to obey and you haven't done it, what's going to, he's going to give you point B and C? He's not going to give you the next thing to obey if you hadn't obeyed the first. And that's what I've learned. And so I just want to get real for a second. Can I do that? Because I like being real with each other because that's the only way we learn is if we're real, we're honest and open and transparent. This is why some of us sitting here don't read the Bible. You know, this is why, you know, because we think ignorance is bliss. <laughs> I've fallen in that category a lot. We like to be in control of our lives, and, and we know once we've read the truth of God's word, we'll be held accountable to what it says. So it's easier to just to, to use it like a table decoration instead of actually reading it, right? We've all fallen there, I'm, I'm sure. I have. I might just be speaking for me. I don't know. But anytime my Bible has had dust on it, it's because I don't want to be held responsible for what God's calling me to do. Because Saul's sin, it seems so obvious to us. Like, Saul, you're an idiot. God said do this, and this is what you were supposed to do, and this is what you did. That's crazy. But we're often unaware of the ways that, that, that we find ourselves in those similar situations, aren't we? We are. We find ourselves in similar situations. Maybe God's calling you to serve in a particular way, but because you're afraid, you decide to serve in a less challenging way. God, I'm still serving. That's not what I told you to do. I told you to do this, you know? Or maybe, maybe you work extra hard at your job so that God won't notice that you're neglecting your family time or time with your wife or husband. Maybe, you know, we like to substitute things that may be just as good in our eyes, but maybe not complete obedience in God's eyes. And it's hard, and it's a dangerous place to be. I mean, sometimes we've so blended our plans with his that we can't differentiate between the two anymore. Can we relate to this at all? Like, we did, we, it's hard to differentiate. Proverbs 16, verse 2 says, says this. It says, all a man's ways seem what? Innocent. All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. To me, my ideas are awesome. <laughs> I got some good ideas. I mean, everybody should do what I want to do because I have the awesome. I'm very wise, okay? I'm very smart. I got this together. Like, we all think that way, whether we want to say it or not. Like, when somebody doesn't want to do what we want to do, or whenever God doesn't let us do what we want to do, we kick and scream like 
infants sometimes. And it's tough, but God, he weighs the motivations of our hearts. Sometimes we think that we've obeyed part of what God says, and that counts as obedience. And that's what we see in Saul's life, but that's not what God says. What he's saying in this scripture is anything apart from fully obeying what God has written in his word or spoken into our hearts is complete disobedience. Complete I love what David says to the Lord in Psalms 119, verses 4 and 5. David is just calling out to the Lord. He says, you have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. That's, that's a man being transparent before God. Lord, you, I know that you've laid these things out that I'm supposed to obey completely. God, help me be steadfast that I would be able to carry these things out. This is why we need a Savior. This is why we need a Savior. Without the Holy Spirit, without God working in our hearts, obedience, we can't even be obedient without the Holy Spirit. Y'all get that? That's why Jesus came. He came and died on a cross. He offered up his perfect life as a sacrifice for our sins so that everyone who believes in him might be saved and also have the grace given so that we can obey. That's all throughout Scripture. So we need to be asking for help in following through on what God's commanding us to do. That rhymes. It's pretty cool. Number two, pride goes before a fall. You ever heard that? Proverbs 16, pride comes before the fall. It's never been more evident than in in Saul's life. Let's pick up in verse 10, verse 10 through 12. It says, "Then then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. So at this point, Samuel is pretty ticked, pretty angry at this time. The passage says Samuel got angry, and he cried out all night, because of Saul's sin. This reminds me so much of Ezekiel 3 and Habakkuk 2. You can look those up. Ezekiel 3 and Habakkuk 2, the first part of each of those chapters, we read about people who are called, who the Bible called the watchmen. The watchmen, in these, in these sections, it's talking about the watchmen on the wall, the, the house of Israel, that cry out in the warning when things are coming up against Israel, whether it's spiritual or physical. They cry out in warning, something's coming. You need to watch out. Something's coming. Prepare yourselves to correct here. Change action here. And this is what Samuel was to Saul. Samuel was being Saul's watchman. Saul, you're, you, need to, you need to change. You need to do something different here because you're being prideful and you're about to do something stupid. You got me? This is what he's doing. And we ought to have those people in our lives that we trust that are considered watchmen to speak into our lives. Because one thing I know is that people, if you allow people to invest in your life, you should allow them to influence your life too. Does that make sense? Like if someone's investing in your life, you should trust them enough to influence you and to to listen to what they have to say. Because what they have to say is, is love for you. They need to let you know when things might be coming. Who are your watchmen? Who, in your life, who are, you, who are your watchmen? Are you, have you isolated yourself where you're, you don't have anyone holding you to that standard? Who are your watchmen? Saul had set up a monument to honor himself. If, if you guys in here, I give you full permission. If I set up a monument to myself, you have full permission to punch me in the mouth, okay? 
I'll write that down for you if you want to, I promise. Listen, we need to have people in our lives that are gonna hold us accountable. I don't understand, a monument, like think about how far he had to go to write to do that. See, you know, Saul had taken something, this is what he did. Saul had taken something that belonged to God, the glory, the glory, something that belonged to God and turned it into something about him. At this point, Saul was greater than God. You see where I'm going with that? Saul was greater than God in this moment. Saul had sinned against God by disobeying, but then he took it like a step further and started exalting himself for it. Like he had so deceived himself that he thought he was doing what God wanted him to do. And so he's like, I did what God wanted. I'm like, this is awesome. And so we need to be reminded, guys, that every day, that every cent you have in your wallet, in your bank account, every experience that you've ever experienced in your life, good or bad, every victory, every talent, every gift that you receive comes from God and is a gift from God. Everything is from God, is a gift from God. As people, we must remember that we are stewards and never owners. We're stewards never owners. Are we being good stewards? You know, I've sat across the table from countless people who have been plagued with pride, thinking like, why, why isn't this happening? Why isn't God moving? You know, I don't, I don't agree with this, what it says in the Bible. You know, they think they know better than anybody else, even God, and didn't, and you know, and they didn't want to bend the knee to surrender to God because it would be, it would get in the way of their life. And it's a sad story. Guys, we need people in our lives to sound the alarm when we start to go our own way, whenever pride starts to enter in our life. To sound the alarm. Do you have somebody in your life that does that? Do you trust someone or do you get, do you get offended? Saying, who are you to talk to me? Look at this stuff in your life. That's not what it's about. As believers, guys, we're, we're supposed to walk arm in arm with each other, to push each other towards the Lord, to push each other towards Christ, to walk together. Number three, sin is deceptive, <laughs> Right? Who's ever struggled with sin? Everybody in here. It's deceptive. It will lie to you. It will, it will cheat you out of your life. It, it's terrible. Listen to this. One of the, best, the best thing that I can tell you right now is sin will always take you farther than you want to go. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you there longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. Every time. Every time. Every time. So listen, we're going to read verse 13 and 14, but I want you to see how ridiculous the thing is we're about to read, okay? This is ridiculous. 13 and 14. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you, Samuel. He's like, oh, look at me. So, the Lord bless you, Samuel. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. I mean, he is, he is the man right now. In his eyes, Saul's the man. But Samuel said, this is my kind of guy. What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this blowing of cattle that I hear? This is awesome. Saul said, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. I mean, this guy's like reeling at this point. I love Samuel's reaction. Like, what is this bleeding of sheep in my ears, Samuel or Saul? Like, what is, what's happening here? Like, the evidences of his disobedience were all around him. Like, the evidence that you were disobedient is, is, is literally trying to nibble at your leg right there. You know, he, he still carries himself like, yeah, I'm doing what God wants. Right? It's like, I'm still, I did everything God wants. I went and did it, you know? But how about us, guys? How about the fact that some of us are sitting here today, me included, all of us, like everything is right with God. Like we sing songs. We tell everybody like, you know, 
I'm right with God. Maybe the evidences of our disobedience is all around us. Maybe our spouses or our friends are sitting right next to us. They know. <laughs> they know. But we still tend to put on a God face and say, and, and, and like Saul did to Samuel, bless you, Lord. I've obeyed the commands of the Lord. Now we put this face. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, do we not? We do that. The, the, the times that my wife is in this room when I'm preaching is the hardest because she knows me. And when I'm preaching, she's like writing notes. I'm going to talk about him when he gets home. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, and so like, listen, because we know each other. Like, we, like the people sitting next to you know where you're at. Let's be honest with ourselves, guys. We can all get caught in this sin. All of us. We're all hypocrites from time to time, right? We all. We all are. But what we do next, what we do next in that moment is what defines you. When the Holy Spirit confronts you, it's, it's, it's life and death importance. It's life and death importance. But, but what you do next, guys, is important. Saul, at this point, the next point, still had a chance. He had a chance here whenever Samuel was approaching him, but he chose a path hard to come back from. Don't go down that path. Don't go down that path. Look in verse 15 again. It says, Saul says, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. So you see how he put the soldiers in the disobedient side, and he put the we on the obedient side. You see where he's dividing the lines there? You look back in verse 9 where it says spared. The verb there in the original form is a singular version. Spared is a, is a singular version. So you read that like Saul was in charge. He's putting it off on the soldiers like, you know, what, what the heck? Saul was in, he was the one giving the orders. He was the king. He was the king. Nobody acts without, without his orders. Why did they do it? Why did they do it? For God's sake. We, did, we, we spared him for God's sake. We wanted, to, we wanted to sacrifice him to the Lord. He's blame shifting. He's like, Samuel, I'm the victim here, bro. I don't, I don't, the, the soldiers did it. Go talk to them. So what I did wasn't even really that bad anyway. It's, we, we, we were going to give them to God. You know, and so we find ourselves in that way a lot. And so let's read on 16 and, 16 and 19. Samuel says, enough. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. That's the point you need to sit down. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Samuel, basically, when he says enough, he's basically saying, like, cut the crap, Saul. Cut it, cut it. I know, I know what happened. Like, be real with me for a second. Saul, don't you remember that you were nothing when God gave you all of this, all the kingdoms of Israel, all the, the lands, all of the, the cattle and the sheep, all of the servants and all the money? You were nothing, and God raised you up to this. God gave you this. Saul, you were appointed by the Almighty God to serve as king. This is nothing that you've done. God has given you this by his grace. You were nothing. God made you everything. That's a tough, that's a tough word, right? We need to remember that about ourselves sometimes. Like God, God's grace has given us all these things. Because look, but this is the funny thing. The reason Saul spared King Agag and kept him as prisoner was that in the ancient world, um, having an enemy king in your prison was a, a status symbol. 
is what it was. Um, once a year, they'd have a parade and would say they'd cart all these conquered kings. They'd be emaciated and in chains. And, that, and it would be like, see, I'm the conquering king. I'm the king of kings. I have all these kings that I've defeated. He was trying to make a name for himself is what he was doing. And he lied and disobeyed about it. He was after a name. He wanted to enhance his kingdom, not God's. That's tough. It's tough to hear that. It's tough to walk in that and understand. You know, Saul saw that plunder. He saw all the stuff he could get and was greedy for it. He thought his way was going to be better than God's way. I've, I've, I've obeyed to this point. I've done this to this point. He'd become so self-deceived, guys, in his thinking that he thought what he was smarter than anybody else, including God. And that's a dangerous place to be. He thought, he was believed, he was convinced that he was doing the right thing. So my question this morning is, how, are, are we in that point? Have we ever been there? Have we ever been to the point where we're so self-deceived that we actually believed that the sin we're playing with is okay? Are we, are we, are we, that, are we that place yet? Have we ever been more concerned about making a name for ourselves over making the name of Jesus famous? The answer is yes. We all have. We've all gone astray. That leads us to number four, and the last point is this. To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. And let's look at verse um, 20 and 21. Just look at there for, hold that thought for a second on those verses, and we're going to read that. We're going to be there in just a second. To obey is better than sacrifice. Saul thought God wouldn't mind if he was a little disobedient as long as he worshiped God, right? We've, we've been there. I, I've been there. He thought, if I give God a sacrifice, he wouldn't care that I didn't do everything he said to do. God won't mind. He was negotiating with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God Almighty. He was, he was, he was compromising a lot. And this is what his actions were saying, but his mouth was saying something a lot different. Look in verses 20 and 21 that like we talked about. Saul said, but I did obey the Lord. Did he? No, he didn't. Not one bit. I went on the mission. I went. I, I went on the mission that the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back King Agag, Agag their king. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder. He's still on that. The best, of what the, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. So he's still talking about that. After Saul, after Saul got rebuked, he says, no, no, Samuel, I, I did obey God. I did 98% of what he told me to do. I did 98%. I did, I did, the 90, I did, I did a lot, man. God, but I did this. I'm trying to honor God with this part. I'm trying to honor God with this part. But look what Samuel says in verse 22. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he does in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Is God, this is what he's saying, is God as excited about your token offerings to him, Saul, as he would have been if you just would have obeyed him? The answer is no. Is God as fired up with us about coming here and sitting in church or singing some songs, or giving a little money, as he would be about us just obeying what he's calling us to do. Is that really what God's after? You know, does he want a few hours in the week and then some of our money? No, that's not what he's after. He wants obedience. Is God bored and poor so that, that what he wants most is your time and energy? You know, no, what God wants is a surrendered heart. 
The time and the energy will overflow out of that. Your obedience to him flows out of a surrendered heart. And once you're surrendered to him, you'll see your life change. You'll see your, you'll see your heart change because walking with him will never put you in a place where Saul was at. God doesn't want your religious rituals, guys. He wants a fully surrendered heart because he knows he can use that. He can use a surrendered heart. And now comes a verse, well, we will all have a hard time swallowing, I promise. When you read it, you'll understand. When you hear this, it's, it's tough. Listen, verse 23, Samuel's still talking to Saul. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you as king. What is this saying? Like, I never want to come in here and give my own interpret, like my own ideas. What, but this is saying something very specific. This is scripture. Divination is Satan worship, basically. And so, what it's saying, halfway obedience, ninety-eight percent obedience is like worshiping Satan. That's hardcore. That's that's a high standard to me. Over and over again in scripture, we we see that disobedience is an act of rebellion. It's idolatry. And here it comes in the form of a divination is what Samuel calls it. Because you know, all, there's all kind of people in this room today, guys, that, like, that me, you, we're all, we're, we're trying to give zero or halfway or 90% obedience. And sometimes it doesn't bother us, you know? That's the part that scares me about me sometimes is if I'm being disobedient, it doesn't bother me. You know, what's it say about my heart? What's it say about our hearts if, if we know we're living in disobedience and it doesn't bother us or we kind of push it to the side? What's that say? Because some, I mean, some of us in here may be dating someone we shouldn't be dating. Maybe sleeping with our girlfriend or our boyfriend before marriage and justifying it by saying we love each other. Some, some, something God has really has told you to do and you're just not doing. Maybe you're not tithing or maybe God has, has told you to go and serve overseas, but you don't want to be that far away from your family. Maybe you haven't forgiven someone. And you know you should forgive, but you say, I'm too bitter. You don't know what they've done. I can never forgive that person. Are we willing to put, are we willing to be put in the same category of saint worship, divination? Rebellion is the same as divination. And here's why, you know, because God puts in that category, and this is, this is why. You know, Satan's sin was telling God, I want to do my own thing. Right? Is that what he did? I, I want to do my own thing, God. No, I'm doing my own way. I'm going my own way. When you follow in Satan's footsteps, you're essentially worshiping him. Because, but I want you to, if you've heard nothing else, hear this this morning. Is that sin is not wicked because of what we do. Sin is not wicked because of what we do. Get that out your mind. Sin is not wicked because of what you do, but because of whose authority you're rejecting. You get that? Sin is not wicked because of what you're doing. It's because you're rejecting God's authority in your life to go his way. Have you ever gotten more worried about being caught in your sin than, than the, what, what your offense means before a holy God? That's, that's where I need to come and, and check myself. Am I, more, am I more concerned about being caught in sin or what it means before a holy God? Have I truly seen who God was to know what that means? Guys, a sin in our lives that we think is a minor issue is actually an infinitely, an infinitely major problem. It's huge. One sin separates us from the holy God of the universe forever. One sin. Because the standard is perfection. That's why we have Jesus. That's why we have Jesus. 
Guys, some of us, some of us here sit here in the presence of God each week knowing, knowing we're living in, in sin and disobedience. The fact that he knows that we're living in rebellion to him doesn't bother us, but it needs to. Guys, if that's any of us this morning, that's a scary place for us to be. I, I pray that you would come and surrender that this morning, that we would not be like Saul. I know these are tough messages. This series is tough. Like, it's talking about broken people. We're broken people. You know, we need to surrender this this morning. You know, this is a hard teaching, guys, but I love you, and I care about your eternity way more than I care about my popularity. I do. I do. God doesn't care how many times we warm a seat of a church or how much money we give or how much money we make. It's not, it's, if it's not done in obedience to him, we need to be obedient followers of Christ if we're calling ourselves Christians. The reason the world doesn't know Christ is because he sees Christians following Jesus at a distance. We need to be following him wholeheartedly. He wants a surrendered heart, guys, and that's what he's most concerned about. That's what he's most concerned about. This is why Jesus came. That's why he paid, this is why he paid for our sins, is this right here. So where are you at this morning? Where are you at? And on this scale, this is tough. This was a tough sermon. You guys, some Savannah, my wife, like this is a tough sermon for me to prepare for. I shared with the guys before, like this is, this is, it's tough because it's convicting for me. And like, I feel like this week I was preaching to myself and you guys just got a front row seat to hear me preach to myself because this is me. This is me talking to myself. And like, it's tough. And so where are you at? You know, what is God asking you to do today? Because one thing I know is whenever the word's open and it's preached, the Bible says it doesn't return void. It means it goes out and it doesn't return void. It means it brings something back. And so it means your heart, if the heart hears this and it's not affected by it, there's a wall. Is that you this morning? Is God trying to speak to you this morning? You know, what's he asking you to do? Is he asking you to surrender your life to him and acknowledge him as your savior, to give your whole life to him, not just the parts, not the edges? Is he asking you to come to the altar this morning um, and, to, and to give some things up that need to go? Is that what he's asking you? Um, you know, guys, I, I, I want to beg you to come and, and this morning and just, and just pour out your heart before him and say, Lord, I don't know where I'm at. I pray that you would show me. God, I pray that I would have the boldness and courage to take steps of faith so that I can follow you closer. That's my heart for every single person in these seats this morning. Is it to take a next step? Can you relate this morning to Saul's pride? I can, I can. Can you relate to his self-deception? I can. Have you been letting sin or pride rule in your life and not Jesus? Have we let fear and insecurity replace God's peace in our lives when it comes to obeying his commands? Because God's commands are scary sometimes. Packing up and moving to another country is scary. Asking someone at work for coffee to talk about Jesus is scary. Raising kids, I'm sure, is going to be scary. Like, following Jesus is scary sometimes. But he's given us freedom from that through the cross. One thing I know, this is, this is it. I just want to share with you guys that one thing I know is inside every person's heart in this room is a longing for something or a searching for something. That's why the whole world right now is looking for something. We think maybe I'll find it in my next job or my next city or my next church or sometimes my next husband or wife or my next relationship or the next pleasure or the next experience, the next weekend, the next accomplishment, the next bonus, the next stack of money, the next holiday, whatever it may be. Inside of every human heart, there's something that cannot be filled with anything on this earth because what's longing in your heart 
is a longing for God, the one who created you. That's what, that's what the longing is. Whether you've never been saved and God's drawing you to himself, that's the longing. Whether you're living in sin and God's drawing to yourself, say, come to the altar and, and repent. Call out to me. Whether that's it, it's God drawing you. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in man's heart. That's why when you're looking up at your ceiling at night, like there's more. There's got to be something else. There's got to be. God knows there's an emptiness in every human heart that only he can feel. And that's why he did the unthinkable for you. The unthinkable. That's why he did it. God Almighty, in human form, put on flesh and came down to save us, to die in our place, to walk a line that we couldn't walk so that we could live or we shouldn't live with him. That's good news. It's awesome. So this morning, guys, if that's where you're at, if you know that's where you're at, I want to encourage you either to come to this altar or, pre, or to speak with one of our prayer team um, members. But, I, you know, in connection, we're, we ask you to be bold because I think Jesus took a pretty bold step by dying on the cross for us. This morning, if you don't know Christ, if you know that your life has been um, lived without him and you haven't surrendered that, I want to ask you, I just want to give you a chance. If you don't know Christ and that's a step you want to take, we want to pray with you. Because one thing I know is the first step's the hardest, Right? I could give a little short testimony about the gym this week. I took the first step in going to the gym this week. I'm hurting right now. The first step's the hardest. Thank you. Thank you. The first step's the hardest. But listen, same with your salvation. The first step's the hardest. But we want to come alongside of you and walk it out with you. Is there anybody here this morning that wants to, wants to take that step this morning? We want to pray with you. If anybody else here this morning wants to pray, this altar is going to be open. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to be done. But um, I, just, I just ask you guys to evaluate your hearts this week and just think about um, the word we just read about in 1 Samuel. So let me pray for us. Father, we love you. I'm so thankful for who you are and what you want to do in our hearts. God, I pray for, um, for wisdom. God, I pray that you would just give us discernment into our own hearts and to our own beings. God, that we would know who we are in your sight. God, I pray that you would forgive us where we were wrong. God, I pray that you would just point things out in our life disobedience, rebellion, Father, idolatry, that we can just submit it to you, Father, and die to ourselves and just follow you completely. Lord, I just pray this, this altar would just be a place of refuge for people this morning. God, I pray that you would just allow them to, to release things off their chest, off their lives, God, and that we would just um, be a church that is following you hard. Father, we love you.